The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. How you doing? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be back home. Um, Heather and I were gone the last couple of weeks, in case you noticed or didn't notice. You know, um, but uh, yeah, it was awesome, and uh, we had a great time. I'm Pastor Matt. For those of you who are visiting or maybe visited the last couple of weeks, um, I do exist, and, and I'm not a hologram. I'm, I'm the real deal, so um, thank you for being here, and um, uh, just want to say a couple things. Um, thank you, Saba, for teaching two weeks ago. It was awesome. My Facebook was blowing up while I was on the beach. I periscoped it, so I was watching live. So for you periscopers, I hope one of you are on a beach right now. It's awesome. I, w- I was thinking, if we could just move the creek to the beach, how cool would this be? I mean, oh, dude, I mean, I had my feet in the sand, and sounds like a country song, doesn't it? Um, but I had my phone in my hand um, watching Periscope. So thank you, Saban. And this week, Saban and Aaron and their family are going to Florida and spending some time in Florida, but then you're going back on your, on your field, on the mission field with Canada. And so thank you for spending so much time with us. We love you. Um, the Creek, we have you back. So you're our family, and we love, we love having you home. So come home anytime, please. So thank you, Saba. And um, thanks, Trinity, for teaching last week. And I love that I can get some time away and know that, that you guys are in good hands, that you're going to be taught the solid word of God. And so I don't ever worry about that. So I periscoped Saba on the beach, and then last week I was periscoping in the car driving home. I wasn't watching Periscope. I was just listening. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was awesome. So uh, it was good stuff. So let's get into Ephesians chapter 4, if you've got your Bible. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. I want you to have a copy of the Bible. You can get it on your smartphone, um, any tablet, anything like that. But it's vital for you to have a Bible because I, I want you to be able to make notes and then write things in your, in your Bible. And then also, it's, let me just be honest with you, it's a way to check things. And so I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, God's perfect. I'm just communicating his word, his message. And so check me. I don't trust everything I hear. I want to read it and investigate it. Most of us believe something we've heard, not something we've investigated. And so I love that Christianity is not a thing where you check your brain at the door. He gives us an intellect and he calls us to use it. So um, that's a, a great tool for us to have. So we've been in this series called Grace at Work, and this is about God building the church. And, and everything that God is building in the church is through grace, by grace, and for God's glory. And so as we move through this, this passage, we're actually today making a transition in the book of Ephesians. For the last several weeks, We've been going through chapters one through three, and in that we find uh, Paul lays an incredible foundation for the, for the doctrine and for what we're getting ready to get into. And chapters four through six is that uh, application of what's going on. And everything that Paul is basing this on, everything that the church is founded on is the gospel. And, and as we talk this morning about gospel togetherness, uh, we've got to understand really the truth of the gospel. And here's what the gospel is. It's a proclamation of what has been accomplished in Christ. You see, you and I talk about the gospel, and, and, and in church, it just becomes another word. And I don't ever want that to be the case here at the creek. The gospel is this. It's good news. And we're to proclaim this good news. So what is the good news? That we have a Savior who bore the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. On a cross called Calvary, 
He absorbed the wrath of God against sin. And he was laid in a tomb. He was resurrected on Easter morning. You see, that's the good news. What that means is it's already been accomplished by Christ. And, and for you and I, that's transformational. For the entire world, that's transformational. And our responsibility is per, to proclaim that news, that proclamation of what Jesus has already done. And then a lot of times we get, this, we get in this idea that because of the gospel, we have a relationship with Jesus. Can I help you with something? Paul explains to us that our relationship isn't just with Jesus. Our relationship is in Jesus. We don't have a relationship with Christ. That relationship has been secured through the cross for us to have a relationship in Christ. And then that gives us the ability and the desire to live for Christ. And so if if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you start to ask this question, how do I fully live for Christ? I mean, what, what does this really mean? What is this really all about? And Paul starts to make this transition in chapter 4 when he starts out verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So what he's saying is, uh, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm urging you to live your life a specific way. And he says, therefore, and you've heard me say this every time we come across this in Scripture, you want to understand why it's there. It therefore means because I have said this, now I am saying this. What's happening in this transition of chapters 1 through 3 and 4 through 6 is Paul has laid a foundation for doctrine in chapters 1 through 3. Here is what has been accomplished in Christ. The unity that exists in the church, that you and I are being built into a temple of God, that we were alienated, and because of Christ, we have been brought near that we were a separated nation, and that we have been brought into relationship with Christ. And so Paul is laying us a, a doctrinal foundation for what he's about to teach us and how to live. So he says, therefore, because of what has been accomplished in Christ, here is the way I'm instructing you to live. And doctrine is vital. I, I, I used to, I hear people say this, and honestly, I used to fall in this. Like, why do we have to study doctrine? I mean, just, it just seems so boring. I mean, I would, in seminary, I would take doctrine classes and have to go through doctrine and doctrine and doctrine. And honestly, it just, I was just like, why do we have to do this? Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we just love each other? I mean, many people will say, why can't we, in church, why can't we, why do we have to worry about doctrine? Why can't we just come along, get together, love each other, sing some songs, have some coffee, and go home? Doctrine is vital because doctrine sets the foundation for what we believe. And what we believe determines how we act. See, a lot of times we get wrapped around the axle with Christianity, thinking it's some type of behavioral modification that if if I'm going to go to church or if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to act a certain way. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that people say when I talk to them about the gospel is they get into how Christians act. In India, when Gandhi was asked what the biggest hindrance towards Christianity in India was, he replied one word, Christians. Because we wrap it up thinking that we have to act a certain way. But here's what the reality is, based on faith... That when our doctrine is right, when we believe 
what has been accomplished in Christ, when I believe that Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin, then I truly believe he absorbed the wrath of God against my sin. It changes how I act towards Jesus. When I truly believe that the punishment and the penalty for sin has been absorbed by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, it changes how I view sin. No longer do I look at it as as a a free-for-all and go, well, if he's paying the bill, then I'm getting it whatever I want. Because I believe what has happened, it shapes what I'm going to be doing. So don't let the enemy start to lie to you and saying, well, how can God love you if you still continue to fight with sin? Hey, I still continue to fight with sin. I still struggle it. I'm a human, so are you. We're, at this, we're in this war, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say, well, if you still struggle with sin, how can God possibly love you? Go to the truth, the doctrine, the truth. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have to be pretty enough for him to accept us. We don't have to be clean enough for him to accept us. The prodigal son, what a beautiful story. Son finds himself face down in pig slop and runs to his father. His father didn't say, go clean up and we'll talk. His father ran and embraced him and kissed him. Don't let the enemy lie to you on that, okay? Let the truth, the doctrine of what has been accomplished in Christ start to change what you believe about yourself. And Paul's saying to to live this life that's worthy of this calling means this, to fully live for Christ is to live fully for the glory of God. When he says that I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, too many times the enemy gets us into this idea that, that we have to earn our salvation or we earn God's affection or we earn God's love. We, we kind of parallel it back to the movie Saving Private Ryan, which this weekend will be on at least one time. And I make the investment to watch as much of it as I can. Because if you watch it on a network uh, cable show or cable channel, it's, a, it's like a four-hour investment with all the commercials. I mean, so you're in it, man. I mean, it's a two-mil movie. But at the, end, at the end, Tom Hanks, his, his crew, his group, is going after Matt Damon, who's Private Ryan. If you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, but it's like 15 years old, so it's on you, okay? <laughs> so Tom Hanks is trying to find Matt Damon, whose brothers were killed in battle, and they're going to send him home. Now, at the end, when Tom Hanks and his, his group, his battalion, finally find Matt Damon, who is Private Ryan, and they give him the news that your brothers have been killed in battle, but you're going home. There's a fight that happens with the enemy. And what happens is Tom Hanks is is fatally wounded on the bridge. Matt Damon runs over and he's trying trying to talk to him and trying to work with him. And Tom Hanks grabs Matt Damon at the end. Powerful moment. He says... James, earn this. And too many times we spend our Christian life thinking I have to earn what Jesus did. That's not the context of what was said and that's not the context of our faith. 
See, at the end of the movie, you've got Private James Ryan standing in front of a tombstone. He's standing in front of a cross on this tombstone. And he turns around and looks at his wife. He says, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a life that honors this sacrifice. He could never earn that sacrifice. You and I will never earn the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It has been accomplished and he has paid it. What our challenge is, is every day let the reflection of that cross come through in our life so our lives reflect the beauty of a sacrifice and a life laid down for us to enjoy freedom and a relationship like we've never been able to before. When we think about this in terms of the gospel, of what God has accomplished through the cross of Christ, that we live our lives saying, I want that sacrifice to be the focal point of every day of my life. And what has been accomplished in Christ and the truth of what has been accomplished begins to shape every part of who I am. That's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. And he's going to move us into this this idea of the church and the unity in the body of Christ because most of us study Ephesians on our own. We read the book by ourselves. Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus. We're studying this as a church. So we understand that there's a word for us because the church isn't just me, it's us. And Paul's talking about this unity. So he's saying to the church, the bride of Christ, that, that you, church, walk in a way that is worthy of this gospel. The church is the bride of Christ. He's saying, I'm urging you, church, to live your life collectively and in community and to be a reflection to the world of the beautiful groom that you profess your love to. And we walk in this together. I love this about faith is we're not designed to do faith by ourselves. We're called to walk in unity, this gospel togetherness that you and I are brought together because of what has been accomplished in Christ. So we've got to understand some truths about this unity in Christ as a church because this begins to shape how we act as a body of believers. This truth begins to create the doctrine for which we interact with one another. Not so we walk in here and put on this false face and go, oh, everything's fine. Let me tell you something, as your pastor, I know this about our church community. Everything is not fine. We have have a a young mother laying in ICU in Temple, Texas. On Mother's Day, a piece of metal came through her windshield and crushed the right side of her face. And the doctors and the surgeons are saying, it's a miracle she survived. She endured a 15-hour surgery on Monday to reconstruct her face. She has a long road ahead of her. Be praying for Brian and Julie and Jake as as Brian's driving back and forth to Temple and Jake's having to go to school knowing his mom is in in ICU and in the hospital. Be praying for Grayson Crago who a couple weeks had brain surgery for a Chiari malformation and has had several surgeries since then. 
You know, I know things aren't good. We can't come in and put on a false face. I know you're looking for jobs. I know you're praying for healing. I know we've got young mothers that are going through treatments for cancer. I know there's heavy stuff going on. Can I tell you too, there's also some praise. I got a call this week from from one of our grandmothers in our church community. I call her Nana. She's just our resident Nana. She said, I have to tell you, she said, I was getting ready to have to have a procedure for a lesion on my liver. And she said, I, I was worried about this. And she said, you know, we prayed before. I went in, the doctor looked at the CT scans and said, I'm gonna have to order another scan before we do this procedure because I need to identify exactly where it's at. The doctor came in a few minutes later and she says, you're done, you can go. She's like, what? She said, we've took pictures again and we've tested and we've re-verified and the lesion's gone. I mean, so just as much as we are praying, yeah, praise God. See, we can get overwhelmed by prayer requests and think it's all bad, but we, we serve a God who is mighty and strong and is the creator and sustainer of all things who holds life in his mighty right hand. Do you believe that? So when we come in, grace covers our interaction. Paul says this. He says, um, with all humility, verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So what Paul's saying is, is this grace at work in our life, this grace is the binding agent for gospel togetherness. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I had the table and put the bricks on and said, you and I are the bricks. We're not designed to do life alone, that God is bringing us together and he's building us into his temple. And what's beautiful about that is if you and I are the bricks, grace is the mortar. Grace is what holds us together. And grace doesn't call us to walk in uniformity, but unity. See, unity happens when there's an internal spiritual grace for us to do life together. Uniformity happens from external pressure. And you and I are not called to walk in uniformity. We're called to walk in unity because you and I are different. And we need to celebrate that. We need to honor that. We need to reflect that in the community and the kingdom of God. So Paul gives us some things of what does grace look like with this preserving of the spirit, this preserving of the unity. The first one, he says it's, it's humility. That we're to be humble with one another. What that means is putting Christ first, others second, and me last. And humility isn't thinking too highly of myself. But also, let me say this, it's not thinking too lowly of yourself either. It's not walking around with such a defeated self-attitude that you're missing the reality of who you are in Christ. See, the truth of the gospel is what has been accomplished, that you and I are sons of God, that we are co-heirs with Christ. So that's not to beat us down. So stop walking around with your face to the ground um, like David in sackcloth and ashes all the time. Change out of that. The time for mourning is over. Don't overthink who you are, but don't underthink who you are. Humility, gentleness. This is actually written in in the original translation as meekness. That we're to be gentle with one another. Meekness is this, it's just power restrained. I grew up watching Bugs Bunny. Some of y'all did too. 
And there was a Bugs Bunny where it's like the big orange guy. Does anybody know his name? I don't know his name either. But remember when he gets, I was hoping somebody could help me. Um, but remember when he gets Bugs Bunny and he's holding him like this? And he's like, I'm going to love him and pet him and rub him and hug him and love him. And I, that, that just hit my mind in the first service. That's why Dave had to pray for me because I could really screw this thing up. He's got the power to crush the rabbit, right? But he's like, I'm being gentle, right? Okay, when we operate in gentleness with one another, we understand that when someone confides in us, when someone is sharing with us, that that information, then that can be hurtful if used in the wrong way. See, it quickly crosses a line into gossip. You know how gossip starts in churches? Let me tell you about this prayer request. You and I are called to be meek with one another. It's not weakness. It's exercising incredible strength. See, James talked about this idea of meekness when he was talking about the tongue. He said, consider the tongue, how a small rudder can turn a big ship, how a bit in a horse's mouth can turn the bit, how one match, one spark can light a forest on fire. Our words have the ability to build up or tear down. Be kind, be gentle, with your words. The next one is patience. Patience is this. It's long-suffering, or it's literally translated long-tempered. You ever been around a short-tempered person? <laughs> okay, patience is long-tempered. I don't pray for patience, and I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, because when, when you pray for patience, God is going to put you in a situation where your patience is going to be tested. For me, Traffic. And I said something in the first service I got to apologize for. I didn't mean to call people stupid. Somebody talked to me afterwards. They're like, you just called those people stupid. No, I didn't. I just said their idea was stupid. So this week I learned patience on dealing with the traffic changes in the new bridge for 35 northbound um, and have spent my week avoiding the highway. That a trip I'm just, it should take 12 minutes, took 42, just saying. I'm not bitter about that, but God is teaching me something. So I'm like, learn me, God. Learn me, God. Help me now. So I just put on praise music, and if that's not working, I put on comedy radio. I just got to have something. Patience. We bear with one another. Here's what patience really means. It's the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. It's knowing you're right, but yet with patience, you're being long-tempered and saying, it's not about me. Grace is working in your patience. He says, maintain. You see, that actually is translated endeavor because you understand that love takes work, right? I mean, if you're married, you understand when you say, I do, it's not done, it's not I'm done. It's I'm just getting ready to start a really hard process. You and I walking together as a church have a responsibility to continue to walk and work in this love. And we continue to endeavor with that. Then he says peace, that we walk in peace, that we maintain this bond of peace. And what I've learned about peace is that if there's war on the inside, there's going to be war on the outside. If I'm having struggle with God, if I can't get along with God, I can't get along with other Christians. 
And so we're called that as we walk as a church to be at peace with God and walk in peace with God so we can walk and work and preserve that peace with each other. See, this, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, he said, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body. See, you and I need this peace. We need a place that is safe to come in and, and be who ourselves are. And, and this is what I'm struggling with and know that I've, I'm surrounded by people that are going to encourage me and help me walk this life. And so grace is the binding agent. And then there's, there's a foundational element that Paul goes into next. He says, the gospel togetherness is grounded on a strong foundation. That doctrine is important. The foundational truths of faith are vital because he says we walk in this unity and he says there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so what he's laying down is a, a foundation of doctrine. He's saying this is vital, this is important, that these are the closed-handed things that we wrap ourselves around. Because anything, if, if we try to build unity on anything other than spiritual truth, it's not a church, it's shaky ground. It's a difference in the rock foundation and the sand foundation that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. And we've got to understand that that doctrine is vital. It's that rallying point for which we say this is the truth on which we stand. And Paul says there is one body, that is the church, that Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body. And local bodies are an expression of his body. When you think about Christ and the church, it's the model for how we are to act. And I hear people say, why is connection to a a local church so important. I mean, they're like, why do pastors want, want that? That's just a pastor thing. No, that's a doctrinal truth because church is a place for you and I to connect and encourage others and be encouraged. The things that I go through, the things that people in our church are going through, we're not designed to do that alone. And church is the place for that encouragement to happen. It's a place where I know I'm gonna be prayed for, where I'm gonna be loved and I can pray for others, and I can love others, and there's one body. He says there's one spirit, that this is the Holy Spirit. The third part of the triune nature of God, that we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're distinctly individual, yet one, and there's one spirit that calls us to walk in unity. The Holy Spirit was given to us primarily for unity, and it saddens me that there's so much division in the church around it. There's one hope of your calling, Paul writes. What is this? This is the return of Jesus. This is where I can illustrate to you the open-handed, closed-handed thing. Like, so when is Jesus coming back? And some of you are like, I'm pre-millennial. I'm post-millennial. I'm amillennial. I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. If you don't know what I'm talking about, praise God, okay? Here's what you need to know. Jesus is coming back, Okay? open-handed, when is it going to happen? What is going to, what are the, what's everything that we're going to go through? I don't know. He's coming back because he said it. That's a doctrinal truth. We know he's coming back. That's a foundational, that's an essential of our faith. And we're not going to get into arguing whether or not he's coming back. He said it. 
There is one hope of our calling that at the resurrection, we will be united. And if we don't, get, if we don't die before Jesus comes back, then we will be resurrected and we will join with him in the air because he is coming back. That's the hope of what I'm called to because my hope is not in America. I love living in my country. I love being an American. I love being a Texan. But my hope is in my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords and who secured my citizenship in heaven. That's where my hope is. There is one Lord. That is Jesus. Jesus is Lord. There is none other. Jesus is not a way to the Father. He's not a way to heaven. He is the way to the Father and the way to heaven. That only through him and only through the cross and only through confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for the repentance and forgiveness of my sin can I be saved. There is one hope, one Father, one Lord, one faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is centered in a virgin birth, in a perfect life, in a spotless sacrifice, and in a resurrection. And that faith is found in the truth of Scripture. This is the the foundation for which I live my life. It's not the rule book or the guide book. I mean, I I can't find Facebook things for my daughter, like when should I let her have Facebook and what should curfew be or should I take this job or not? No, no, this shows me the character of my father. And those decisions are made based on the character that my father teaches me from his truth. There's one baptism. That baptism happens when we confess Jesus as Lord and the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church, the body, and we celebrate that through water baptism. That's a symbol of what the Holy Spirit has done at our conversion. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to fill us. Paul says there's one God and Father. I love how Paul just speaks of God as a a beautiful and perfect father. And I know many of you have a terrible relationship with your father from growing up. Don't let the past reflection in human form detract from God who is a perfect father. Let his loving arms, let his hope, let his grace, let his peace wash over you because he is a perfect father. When you see this family, church is a family, and you and I have to endeavor and work at maintaining the unity in our family. And God is our father. He illustrates this by saying God is over all, he's through all, and he's in all. Doctrine is vital, but doctrine alone doesn't create unity in the spirit. It takes more. Ephesians 4.15, which we'll get to next week, Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love. See, you and I can have the truth, but we have to love one another. And Paul's laying a foundation, and we're going to finish this next week when we get more into the practical side of gospel togetherness. But to go back to the question... What does it mean? How do I live fully for Christ? To live fully for Christ means this, that we pursue the right goal. That doctrine and love are vital. Grace is a vital. The right goal is loving God and loving others. That we love God with everything we've got and we love others. That's the unity and the spirit and the bond of peace that we're called to. Is this foundation of love. And then we're rooted in truth. 
We don't just wander around going, what do we believe? What do we believe? We're going to talk more about that next week. So Paul starts out this passage of, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This parallels Philippians 1.27. When he says, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. So we don't just walk it, but our life is worthy of this gospel. What does that look like? What does that look like in the church? What does that look like for us? It looks like this. It looks like dying to oneself and being raised to walk in the newness of life with other people. It means living a grace-filled life to show patience, mercy, and gentleness for the spiritual growth of other people. And it means that we have a respect for the differences that we all bring to the Lord's table. You and I are different, but we're called to walk together with the foundation being the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for doctrine because it is foundational for everything our life stands on. And Father, I pray right now, I don't want to miss an opportunity for anyone in this room that that maybe has never put their faith in Jesus. Maybe there has never been a profession of that one Lord through faith. I pray you give them the courage right now through that one spirit to call out to you and say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And I believe what has already been accomplished in the gospel that you died for me that you were resurrected on the third day and you walked victoriously out of that tomb and I'm asking you to walk into my life forgive me of my past redeem me and I'm praying for new life today you prayed that, I'm going to ask you to do something because we're not called to do this alone. I'm going to ask you to to come see our prayer team at the altar after this service. I'm going to close this in prayer and I want you to talk to them because we want to do this together with you. We want to walk with you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for hope. Thank you for what already has been accomplished. I pray that through the truth of your word, we leave here today more focused preserving unity and walking together and we leave here on fire to proclaim what you have already accomplished through the cross we love you we thank you we pray this in Jesus name amen thank you for listening to the Creek Church podcast if you would like more information about us please visit our website at thecreekfw.com thank you